Hey there, this is Jason and Paul, and we encourage you to follow us on Instagram at stateofloveandtrust underscore pod, where we can continue the conversation with you. Thanks for listening. And now, let's get to the show. everybody welcome back to another episode of the state of love and trust it's jason carapesi here with paul gillary hello sir how are you buddy i'm all right i am ready for an album review are you ready for an album review i am ecstatic to review We're, this album seven years in the to, making jason it is seven, seven years, years in the making, in the making. <laughs> i'm excited you're excited we're all excited we're so excited we're gonna skip past the pleasantries, we're going to skip past and over some of the usual bits. Um, and we're just going to get right to it. We're going to do two parts. Uh, the album Gigaton will do tracks one through six this episode. And next episode, we will do the second half of the album. We will keep our lyric of the week and live cut of the week. Those will be later on. Uh, Paul has a real tasty one for you. And uh, let's just get right to it. Wow. All right, first album in seven years. Whoever said the lead track on the album, Paul, what say you? Uh, well, we get a, a great opening here, man. The album opens with this kind of trail of delay from Mike's guitar. We just really quite a contrast to the that invasive riff openings that we've heard in prior albums with tracks like Break or Fall, Life Wasted, Gonna See My Friend, or even some of those rhythmic drums that we get in songs like Can't Keep and Getaway. In fact, you know, when I'm listening to this track, not since Master Slave opened 10, I think have we had this much of an atmospheric opening. And for me, it really immediately excited me. And it, it, it excites and it establishes how this album will very much be about environment and space, both within the construct of each song, but also in a literal sense as well. So this track itself, whoever said, it reminds me a lot of Gonna See My Friend, which was actually one of the tracks that really grabbed you on your first listen of Backspacer. Now, thematically, the lyrics paint this very optimistic picture. And uh, we get that breakdown at the, the two minute and 30 mark. And for me, that's where the song really grabbed me. Uh, there's this introspection and it's mixed in with the harmony and it really seems to elevate the track far beyond the breakdown at the middle of a song like Getaway does on Lightning Bolt. Um, all in all, I thought it was just a solid opening to the album. Well, uh, I agree. Um, do you have a rating for that song, by the way? Yeah, you, you know, uh, come uh, up with uh, a, uh, a one through scale? five. Is, is that one through a, five? One through five. I'd say <clears throat> you can do half points as well because I've done some half points. Half points. I'm in that three and a half to four right now. It's it's a it's a really good song, but I can't say it's a song that I you know at any point in the day I'm thinking I really want to hear that one. You know what I mean? Um, it's funny it's that good. you say that. Um, I I thought that it was really good. And I thought that more as I listened to it, um, like a lot of the songs on the album, although some songs, uh, my opinion has not changed. Um, this one has only grown more and more in the positive direction. Uh, now the song, as you said, it starts off with that mic, uh, swelling delay reverse, whatever the hell it is. Um, there's a really great article in variety with uh, Josh Evans explaining track by track what he, uh, thought about each um, song how it was put together yada 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 so if you want to know more uh, from the engineering point of view how the songs came together I was highly suggest reading that article from a feeling point of view I thought it was really cool because then you hear that just a little false start with bait with the the, the bass note from Jeff and then the hi-hat and then it's just Ed just chugging along um, I thought that was a really cool riff it, it's interesting this song is it doesn't follow any normal structure. The arrangement is super weird. Like the first two verses and pre-chorus, if you can call them that, don't ever come back. 
A, a lot of songs on the album do that. Yeah, the, the arrangements, the, 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 that, you know, that it's a theme, right? Yeah. There's no is, normal. Yeah. Hey, I mean, Super Blood Wolf Moon is kind of like that, and we'll get to it in a minute. Um, but I just thought it was interesting that they went that route, and it was somehow still really catchy, and it was in my head, despite the fact there's no real repetition aside from you know the two line chorus, which I find to be great. Um, another lyric that stuck out to me was the whole swallow my pencil and bleed out my pen line. It just it just sounds fucking great. He sounds like you're barreling downhill the way he, the way he uh, sang it. And you know, it for being a five minute song, it's only th- it feels like it's three minutes, and it's five. Despite all the movements in it, right? Exactly. Um, so I think there's a theme here for me was you know the idea of learning from our mistakes that we have this ability to change course and be exactly what we want and, and, be, and make it powerful and inspiring is is a great way to lead off an album um, and it kind of puts out there hey this is going to be the theme of the album and we're going to start with it right here so you know where we're coming from you, you do and just to piggyback off that you look at the album cover and it's just you know global warming personified on so many levels and, and you're just watching this glacier just melt away and I couldn't help but think of the song arrangements and how they're not following a traditional formula for these compositions, like you mentioned, right? You don't have that traditional uh, verse, uh, bridge, chorus, pre-chorus, you know what I mean? It, you don't have that with a lot of these tracks. And I think that the, the idea behind it is we're living in an era where we don't have a formula for this, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? We, and, and the formulas we have had aren't working. And so it really is, I think, as an album, kind of a wake-up call. I hadn't really thought of that, but that's actually quite poignant. Uh, I like that. Um, I ended up giving this song a four and a half. Wow. I really, really enjoy this song. Um, when you listen to it with headphones on, you hear the little pick scrapes in each ear and all these little things. This album, not to get too ahead of myself, I think from an engineering point of view, is probably the most interesting one they've ever made. Because More than binaural. So, yes. There are wow. so many little things buried in so many layers of either vocals or guitar or just little tiny things that creep and crawl that you, you keep picking up as time happens, whereas other records are a little bit more um, direct in their sound. But anyways, anyways, we, we'll get there. Next up is... Blood Wolf Moon. I'm going to let you lead this one off, huh? Fair enough. Uh, so Super Blood Wolf Moon, again, Eddie's guitar, just chugging along with Matt. Um, originally, it's funny, I thought that it was a little underwhelming. Um, it, it took me a couple more listens to go, you know what, actually, this is a fun song that... I don't know. It, it just—it seems simple on the outset, but then you look at it more, you look at it more, and it's a little bit more complex and a little bit more complex. And you know, the the whole la di da bridge chorus thing—I originally thought it was kind of lazy, but then I was like, wait a minute, no, it's kind of like a coping mechanism. It's like he, the, there's this crazy shit happening, and it's like, well, maybe if I just la di da la di da da da, okay, okay, I'm calm again. It's got that kind of thing. Is the way I've now taken it. And, you know, lines like not love, notwithstanding, we each of us fucked. What a line. Love that line. Um, on top of that, when they when he adds in the vocal layers um, for the last few lines of each verse, it just sounds extra awesome, extra a little aggro, um, which I love. And I mean, speaking of love, Mike McCready, he is my <laughs> spirit animal and his his solo is absolute magic. He he's yes it is. What's funny with this album is he is soaking his guitars in reverb the whole way through. So it sounds like he's playing in a hall. And it, for a second, it threw me the first time I heard it. But I was like, you know what? That's kind of rad. That's different. I like it. Um, and the focus on your focusness lines, fantastic. Don't laugh for hopelessness. Another fantastic lyric. And it really it kind of brings you back from the edge a little bit. Um, to kind of get back to that positive vibe in a song that doesn't, you know, musically think you're going to go in a positive way because it sounds a little aggro, but it does. And that's a cool dichotomy. Yeah. You know, you know this about me. I'm normally not a big fan of, of Pearl Jam does punk. Um, I know that that's a, a pretty big component of their music, but I think when they, when they go full punk, 
as the expression goes. N- name a couple of songs that you think they went too punk. Um, you know, there are songs where it works, like Minor Manners. Um, I think there's there there are other tracks where I don't I don't really f- it, it just feels like derivative, I guess. Uh, but just to stick with where we're at with Super Blood Wolf Moon, I felt like this particular track coupled with the one that precedes it whoever said these first two songs really demonstrated the maturity of the band to me uh, namely through their continued experimentation with strong with the song structure which is something that, that you mentioned right. and yep so th- th- this the chorus as an intro to me was both inventive but also very infectious I'm not, like I said, normally a huge fan of the Pearl Jam does punk thing, but uh, they really nailed this one for me with that groove in the song. There seems to be a lot of statements in the track about uncertainty, at least in the lyrics, of both the first two songs. And that seemed to reflect kind of the nature of the era in which we're living in right now, our current times. However, the response to the uncertainty is very active rather than passive. And for me, I found that very inspiring. And like you said, I mean, Mike's solo here was just complete smash. So it's just just a really, really, it made me think of uh, High Fidelity where Cusack is talking about creating a mixtape. Mm-hmm. So you, you want to come in with like a bang, but then track number two, you've got to elevate that, right? You got mm-hmm. to take it up a notch. And then track number three is where you downshift. And that's exactly <laughs> where, where we're headed. You know what's funny the, is I, I have track. thought of that theory in my really uh, amateur Dude, it informed so it, many it, of my mixtapes yeah, growing up. Sequencing, that's a sequencing <laughs> that I have always kind of thought of. I'm like, where the hell did I first hear that from? It's, it probably is High Fidelity. Yeah, well, it might be. Yeah. So you given, I gave this song a four. What did you give this song? I'm right there with you. I think four. it's a solid four. Yeah. Dance of the Clairvoyance lead single came out in uh, mid-January. I'm going to lead this off because I know we diverge here a little bit. We do, we do. Um, originally, and you will attest to this because I texted you about it, I could not stand it. <laughs> I listened to it when it dropped on YouTube or whatever. You know, I think it was... I think it was 9 I could hear your palpitations through my phone. Oh, actually. God. <laughs> I like, just, I couldn't... Mother of I God, what is happening here? <laughs> <laughs> and you and I overthink pretty much everything, anyways. So in my mind, it's like, okay, is this gonna be like the whole album, or is this like them picking "You Are" as the lead single kind of thing? Yeah. Everything else is gonna be kind of normal. And I know what you're saying, oh, you don't want to have normal. You want to have things change up. You know, the band needs to experiment, be themselves. I get that. But for me, one genre that I just cannot get behind is electronica. I know this isn't electronica, but. The way that the song sounds, where the instruments sound, even though they are played by humans, sounded too um, electronic for me. Now, upon further review, I have I've come off the ledge a bit. Um, I do That's like the song now. I don't I don't think it's the most best song I've ever heard by them. Um, and I, I, one of the things I figured out was. So while Matt's playing that beat, a very dry beat, it sounds perfect because he's playing it to a drum track, but he's it's just all him. They also layer in a little digital hi-hat thing. And it's that little digital hi-hat thing on top of his drums that drives me nuts. But anyway, carrying on. I do think that Mike's one little main riff is very cool. Um I think Ed's lyrics on this are probably some of the best on the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're very, very good. I really enjoy the way he kind of growls at the end of the verses against a little. For me, he, Ed usually sounds best when he's got a little bit of in there. Mm-hmm. His pretty singing on some slower stuff is great, like, you know, off he goes and what have you, but just breathe. But when you're singing a rock song, a little more up tempo. I want to hear that that better growl, and he starts getting into that at the end of the pre, at the end of the verses. Um, you know, there there are some great lyrics. You got collecting up the forget me nots, not recalling what they're for. Very poignant. Um, the whole I know girls. How does it go? I know girls uh, just want to dance or something like that. <laughs> I've already forgotten it. Um, 
But those lines, you know, the boys want to go out their dicks and fix and fire things. Mm-hmm. On the surface, they seem silly, but you're like, holy shit, he's he's right. And we have this, we have very the masculine people among us. They that's what they want to do. That they want to go out there and be men. Um, and so yeah. he's kind of making fun of that, and I can get behind that. Um, so overall, I think that I would give this a three and a half after three months of listening to this. I'm glad that we didn't review this, you know, as soon as I heard the song for the first time, because it would. I'm going to give it a negative three, Paul. Can I go underground with my with my levels? <laughs> Jason's subterranean review of Dance of the Clairvoyant. There you go. <laughs> I'm off the ledge, people. Off the ledge. That's good, Jason. Um, so. I got to be honest with you. I love everything about this song. And, and, and I have loved everything about this song from the moment I heard it. But I'm also the guy who loves when Pearl Jam colors outside the lines. When they experiment with these dreamscapes. You know, the kind of thing you see on a track like Sleight of Hand. Which is another song that, for you, just Ooh. does not land. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas for me, it's one of my favorite tracks on that album. Maybe I'll get there someday, Paul. You, never you know. might. You might. There's hope for you yet, my young Padawan. Uh, <laughs> so the fact that Matt's drum beat isn't just a machine, I thought just spoke volumes, to be honest with you. And Mike's guitar at that 40-second mark is just electrical shock. I mean, it just comes in and it owns that song, you know. And for, for that guitar to come in with that bravado, you know, and for Eddie to compete with it and just growl over the top of it, I just thought it was at just the band at the peak of their powers, as you like to say. Uh, you know, as you mentioned, the Josh Evans uh, interview in Variety, you know, he said in that interview that he felt like they they cracked the code after this song. Mm-hmm. And to be honest with you, I, I couldn't agree more. Everybody's talking about this. You know, everybody here is talking heads, David Byrne. Uh, for me, I got a little bit of that. And I said this when the song first came out. I got some of that Stevie Nicks solo act there with the stand back at the end. Mm-hmm. I just think it's a stellar effort from the band all around. I love, like I said, how they colored outside the lines here. And Eddie's vocals by far just just off the charts with this track here. So it's promising when in the third track you hear this. I believe the third track off Avocado was Comatose. Yes. And his vocals to me were some of the most underwhelming I thought of his career to the point where I, I was concerned about what the rest of the album oh, yeah. would and sound that, like. That, that should, not to go on a, on a tangent here, but that, that showed in the live shows in that kind of two to three year period where you could tell Ed's voice wasn't at its, at its best. No, it not. wasn't, you know, it wasn't. And and for for us to hear this type of a performance vocally from him in the third track of this album, I, I it, it excited me you know i was very very eager to see where the album went from here so you give it a what rating i'm gonna give this a, a four and a half my friend wow yeah it, it's not quite up there with the, the best of them but it's definitely the type of song where i could see myself at like seeking this one out really yeah it's, there, like i said it's there it's isn't just... so much a chasm here between our ratings as originally would have been mm-hmm. so that's good all right moving on Quick Escape. So uh, basically, I this song came out as a single two days before the album came out. I think you didn't want to listen to it. For I did not. I, I, yeah, I did not. I had heard two songs already, and at this point, that I was, was like, I've waited seven years. I want to hear the album. I don't want to hear it piecemeal. Yeah. So. <laughs> I really was strong. And then, I, well, I, well, I mean, it's it's officially out. It's not a leak. The leak had been out for four days. That's I true. steered clear of the leak. You did. And this song came out on a Wednesday morning, and I put my headphones on, and I put it on. I listened to the four and a half, five minutes, or whatever, whatever it was. I went to my wife. I said, this new song is awesome. It's awesome. Right out of the gate, just bass line. Holy hell, what a groove. Love it. Ed's vocal delivery throughout the entire thing. The meter at which he's singing is fantastic the lyrics you know about this fictional thing about we're trying to to find our way to a point on the planet earth that's still normal and not as he says fucked up by trump and we're it's going to take us to having to travel to mars to get there Mm -hmm. you know it's it's kind of a silly 
analogy, but at the same time, how many people when he was elected had you know either felt to, like it was a twilight zone? Well, yeah, and so they thought they, they would they would tell you, oh, you know what? I think we might have to move to Canada. Like, and people were being half serious about it, and it's like, well, I get your feelings. So I think this is kind of one of the songs that you mentioned in the last episode about not offering necessarily a an answer, a solution, but at least listening and saying, hey, we're, we feel what you're, what you're feeling, that kind of thing. Um, Mike's riff, fantastic. The, the, that main little riff at the beginning. Um, again, uh, I love the growl and the chorus. The had to escape, fantastic. Um what else we got here? Blah, 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 blah. I got notes, if you couldn't tell. Pre-chorus. Oh, yeah, the pre-chorus that you only hear one time. It reminded me of uh, the pre-chorus, or the, I'm sorry, the post-chorus little bridge thing in Evenflow. do 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 I hadn't thought of that. That's interesting. Love that. Like I said, it's a very cathartic song, and I think it's... The, the, the first solo by Stone is very simple, as are many of his solos, but it's really cool because of how many effects Josh puts on it, which he has admitted to. He actually said as much in his Reddit AMA um, uh, recently. And, you know, I'm not one for dressing up simple lines with effects because you don't know what to do with it. But if the effects actually lend themselves to the line, then you've got yourself... A great little riff and it turned out great um i love the line a kerouac sense of time that's fantastic mm-hmm. and then of course another mike face melter uh solo which is like i said spirit animal and then jeff has a little solo on top of that at the end i mean how could you not go wrong i mean th- when this song is played live and i finally see this song live i am going to go nuts because yeah. i can feel it being one of those really epic live songs mm-hmm this song to me feels like the closest thing to the kind of rock song that the band made in their first three albums. Uh, it's like this hard-hitting 70s rock personified on so many levels, but with a makeover that is only only Pearl Jam can provide, you know? I thought it was some of Jeff's finest work. Really? Uh, yes. Yeah, it, I mean, that bass solo over the top of Mike's solo was... <laughs> And then you get a Mike solo and a Stone solo. All this is just outstanding, outstanding musicianship. It's hard not to see how this song does not become a life staple. It really, it, it will be. Uh, it'll be the kind of song that I think it becomes the the climax of, not the show, but that's the wrong word. Um, I, I think it's going to become one of the high watermarks of a lot of shows. You know, it's that it's that you get the intro of a, of a set and it's building towards something, and it's probably this song, you know? And then it comes back down again, and it's on to a new movement. Mm-hmm. This is definitely going to be, I think, a high watermark. Now, to reference the the up-down motif that the band had for their Greatest Hits compilation, uh, for those who may not know, in 2004, the band released a Greatest Hits compilation. There were two discs. One disc was called Up. The other disc was called Down uh, for very literal reasons. The up disc had more of the up-tempo songs. The down disc had more of the uh, mid and and, and down-tempo songs. So specifically the track listing, though. So Quick Escape, for me, is already one of the best up songs that they have ever recorded. I mean, I would already take Save uh, You out of that uh, uh, compilation, (laughs) and I'd replace it with the song. Was Save You on that compilation? It was, yeah, it was. Lyrically, the song has that kind of I want out feel. Mm -hmm. Um, And after all the shit that we have been through uh, for years that are becoming too many to count, I feel like, you know, who who wouldn't want out? You know, it's it's a great title, great themes, fits with the uh, motif of the album. And uh, I'm sorry, fits with the theme of the album, the motifs in the song. And just one of their most powerful just up-tempo songs that we've heard in a long time i feel i'm going four and a half what say you i'm going going five. Oh wow i'm going five like i said i mean if i if you ask me to pick 10 songs that are up-tempo you know those uh you know songs like animal and um you know State of Love and Trust. 
State of Love and Trust, obviously, right? <laughs> Namesake of the show. Uh, this song is, is on that list to me. I mean, it, it, I, I can't think of, of 10 songs that I would say, hey, these are up-tempo Pearl Jam songs, but I would take these 10 over quick escape. Wow. This one definitely makes the cut in every one of those for me. That's outstanding. Yeah. And what's the little funny tag on this is that before the album came out, on all the message boards, people were trying to guess you know, what the style of each song was going to be based on the title when the titles were revealed. And everyone was thinking, oh no, Quick Escape is going to be Pearl Jam trying to do dad punk. It's going to be terrible. And here we are. It is not. It's possibly the best song on the album. There's an argument there. All right, moving on. It's all right. Next song on the album, track number five, is All Right. It's another Jeff Ament song. And uh, Paul, lead us off. Oh, man, Jeff is, he's on a run here, my friend. You know, um, this song has a very Pink Floyd feel to it, especially as it opens. And it's what you get if a love triangle was formed with Yellow Moon, Thin Air, and Pendulum. This yes. Is, that's exactly what, what the song, that's that's what it feels like to me, you know, both lyrically and sonically. I wanted more of a hook with the chorus at first. But when you think about songs like Thin Air and Yellow Moon, or perhaps even a, a track like Nothing As It Seems, you start to see how uniquely Pearl Jam this song is and how the chorus actually, I think, was destined to be composed exactly as it is, which is very understated. It's who the band, I think, is now with songs like this, and and that's totally okay. I mean, I think, you know, when you get some of those uh, the, the, those other tracks with, that are more Ed-driven, I feel like you get kind of things that soar. Um, you know, I think of a, a, a song by Jeff off Yield, Low Light, and I think I was kind of looking for that in this song at mm-hmm. first, but, I mean, that was 1998, you know what I mean? Like... Um, this particularly, I'm sorry, this particular song here, there's a track on this album, because there's a track on this album that manages to release all that built-up tension in in what I think might be the most soaring and majestic soundscape the band has ever made in a track that happens later on the album. For me, a song like this is perfectly, beautifully situated to remain understated because what I know is coming later at the time when I first heard it, I wanted more out of it uh, in the same way. I wanted more out of a track like of the girl. I was like, it's, it's taking me somewhere. It doesn't quite go where I want it to go. Or even a song like um, unthought known where it has its moments, but there were still elements of the song that I, I almost wanted to, <laughs> I feel terrible even saying this. I almost wanted to pigeonhole it into, into that formula. Right. And be like, wait a minute. Wait, wait, I feel like you're heading towards a chorus and it doesn't like, where's mm-hmm. the chorus that soars? Yeah. You're, you're but, in the wrong but, album, buddy. For yeah, they're one. the wrong album. Exactly. But it's okay. Because I think the, it, as, as the namesake of the song here, right. It's a, it's all right. Because what this song provides perfectly builds towards where the album is going. And, uh, it, 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 I thought it was a really strong song. I mean, I, I would probably give it a three and a half. Well, I uh, I really did appreciate um, the Pink Floyd reference you made because that's exactly what I thought when I first heard it. Um, at first, I was like, "Oh God, what is this going to be?" Oh no, this is going to be like a like a Pink Floyd kind of thing. Cool. It reminded me of Dark Side. I know you don't particularly like Pink Floyd, but that's how, where I kind of uh, saw this one going, and it went into a a direction that Pearl Jam does. Um, it was different, it was new, but it still felt like the band. Um, you know, softer songs for me with them are a bit trickier for me to grasp onto. But having had the album for a few weeks now, um, sometimes you need that quieter song and tell you it's going to be okay, that you can be yourself. Um, kind of like the band was whispering, kind of failure encouraging in your own thoughts. Home, basically. <laughs> It's like the band was encur- whispering encouraging thoughts into, into your ear, is what this yeah. song felt like to me. Um, my first reaction was that it would be a little weird to play live, but now I think it might be the opposite. I think it'll actually be really good live, um, especially if they get Boom or somebody else to play some of those weird parts that really kind of soar underneath everything else. I guess it's where 
you know, uh, Josh Klinghoffer was rumored to be the opening act and might come on and join them for some of these things. There was rumors about that for when the mm-hmm. tour finally comes to fruition. Um, so it isn't my ideal quieter song, but I think, like you said, it it fits in its spot, and I'm not skipping it. I, I like it, and I think it's going to be kind of cool live. Um, so I gave it a three. Yeah, I mean, but lyrically, I mean, you have a song that opens with "You can't hide the lies in the rings of a tree. If your heart still beats free, keep it for yourself." I mean, what an opening! I mean, there, there's some really strong yeah. well, material in this track. That that's kind of the theme of of Ed in this in this record, as mm-hmm. we're finding out. Seven o'clock. Um, I guess I will lead this one off. And Paul, I got to tell you, it's been a few weeks now. I, I'm still not really a fan. Um, right out of the gate, uh, the music feels a little pedestrian, a little drone-like. Um, I don't really see where it's trying to go. It's just kind of like a bed of quote-unquote calm, I guess you could say. Um, but that isn't even the part that, that kind of irks me the most the part that irks me the most is that it feels very on the nose and it has ed trying to jam in as many big words as he can possibly know into a verse and that drives me nuts and i can't get my head around that um it's like yes i understand you know multi-syllabic words i understand we are upset about trump winning the election okay um the chorus um, which I think you would agree with me on uh, to a degree is um, very bland. The synths don't add anything for me. There's no vocal layers to make it feel um, bigger than the verses. It's just kind of a snooze. Um, the interlude atmospheric guitars, again, not doing anything for me. It sounds like they're there just because they need to get from A to B, not that they're going to do anything. Um, the broken butterfly wings line is very cool. I will give at that. I did like that line. Uh, but then the whole sitting bull, crazy horse, sitting bullshit lyric is kind of cringe-inducing to me. Mm-hmm. Um, there are plenty of other ways to talk about President Trump in negative ways than to be so obvious with a dad pun. Um, and then I feel like I've just heard the same beat for six minutes and the chord changes don't really go anywhere either. There's, there's a kind of... There's two levels, and they're both kind of like one's a foot taller than the other. There's no there's no, no dynamics to me in this song. It's just like, okay, we got Trump elected. He sucks. We should vote him out. And here's music bed for six minutes. And yeah, I, I give it a one and a half. Wow. Yeah, not good. <laughs> okay. Um, so your thoughts. <laughs> so tell me how you feel. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so... I'm inclined to say that when I first heard the song, um, I got a very kind of Tom Petty vibe to it. Uh, it definitely took me some time. I thought when I first heard it that it it, it didn't go where I wanted it to go. I was intrigued, but it didn't go where I wanted it to go. And, um, you know, the verse is, is both lyrically poignant and classically politically Pearl Jam, you know, Mm -hmm. but on the first dozen or so listens, the chorus felt very lackluster to me. Like you said, Uh, the intro was so cool. You know, I didn't see the verse coming to be honest with you. You hear that intro and you think it's going to be something. And then it just turns into what it is. I do think that there, uh, there are some beautiful swells in the, in the verses. And I think that the cadence to this song is really beautiful as well. Josh Evans said that they picked out a few spots where Ed was doing something really interesting and they made kind of like sonic Lego blocks for him to play with essentially that they rearranged them until they had this skeleton of what the song could be. And then Eddie wrote the lyrics to that. It wasn't a song written for these parts to be together though. It feels to me, I feel like the band got creative, which I respect but it also feels like three songs got hashed together on some level. Somehow it works, which is where I'm at now. Um, However, it will always feel like a song that wants to be three different things sonically to me. 
Uh, I get why a lot of fans are going gaga over this track, though. It's very ambitious. It's definitely a fine call to arms with that much-to-be-done outro. It's a track that continues to grow on me with each listen. Um, it's the kind of track where if somebody said, hey, how's that new album by Pearl Jam? I know you're a big fan. So, oh, it's great. You, know, you should definitely give it a listen. Hey, throw a track on for me. For whatever reason, this is the track I would think to play. Really? It's, yeah. For I, I just feel like it's, it's, the, it's the track that is the least polarizing to the average listener. I don't know what. There's something about the Oh, I completely verse. disagree. I, I know you do, but there's something about the verse that just seems to have that kind of, like I said, Tom Petty feel to it, where you're like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of grooving with this. In fact, to be honest with you, I re-listened to Army Reserve off Avocado. And like that, that, that has actually helped me warm up to the chorus more. Even if I maintain that the synthesizer, the, the synths in the in the in the chorus are just brutal, <laughs> I don't know why they're there. I, I, I'm sure there's a reason. I just it it throws me off. I wish they weren't there. I don't think they need to be there. I think they could do something else there in its, in, in its place. But it's a song that, like I said, I mean, it continues to grow on me. And the more and more I listen to it, the more and more I think like this is the song that I think is going to um, kind of define the album in a way that just breathe defined backspacer Oof. that's, a, that's at, a, at, at, i mean at, now do i feel the same way about the song that's debatable i mean if i had to, to grade the song i'm not going to give it a one and a half i mean I, i'd give it probably a solid three three and a half uh, I, I do think it's a good track but uh there's something about so you it you like that, it more than all right uh i do actually yes i do like it more than all right wow Okay, well, there you go. There's the first half of the album, Gigaton. We will continue on, press on with the second half in the next episode. But it is time for our Lyric of the Week. All right, Paul, this week's Lyric of the Week comes from Do the Evolution, and here it is. That particular lyric to me is is profound on a few different levels. I read uh, an article, or I should say an op-ed, I guess, uh, on medium.com. It was from uh, Romeo. This was <laughs> published on March 29th there. The title of it is, if, if anybody wants to read it, it's called 7 O'Clock from Gigaton, Why It's Pearl Jam's Best Song Written Since 1994, i.e. Vitology. So somewhere in the middle of this op-ed, he has uh, this. Also, line. this guy's wrong. So I, I, I I'm, I'm, again, <laughs> right, <it's, laughs> so I'm just going to read a, a small portion here from yeah. this. He says, um, "While the album has a ton of spectacular songs, the main centerpiece of Gigaton is undoubtedly the song Seven O'clock. Pearl Jam's sequencing of the songs in this particular album was deliberate, and they put Seven O'clock smack in the middle for a reason." As a comparison, think about songs like Jeremy, Rearview Mirror, Corduroy, and Amongst the Waves. All four songs were placed in their respective album's middle section. This is significant for a reason, because the songs are the torchbearers for the album's central theme. He felt the, the 7 o'clock did that for Gigaton. So I started thinking about what Gigaton is. And on, on some levels, it feels like a protest album. So I thought, wow, what's the last like real protest protest album we've had from Pearl Jam. And my first thought was riot act, you know? And I thought, you know, the lines from this particular song, <clears throat> uh, referencing Trump and, and ha what have you, it made me think of Bush leaguer. Right. So I thought, Oh, you know, maybe, uh, maybe, uh, this would be a great lyric for us to discuss something out of Bush leaguer. Then I started, I just got swept up in this concept, this idea of uh, what this middle track means. And I, I couldn't help but think how everybody keeps saying this is Pearl Jam's best album since Yield, or this is the, the, the reincarnation yeah. of Yield, right? And so I'm listening to this album and I said, you know, I'm going to go re-listen to Yield. And there smack dab in the middle of Yield mm -hmm. was Do the Evolution. 
And I thought this lyric was kind of a wonderful precursor to what much of Gigaton is about. Uh, I thought some of the themes in Seven Clock, in terms of you know, the political statements being made, are actually echoed in a song like Do the Evolution. This idea that, you know, everything is fake, right? We talk about fake news, uh, but it's all about appearances. It's all about selling through the media the narrative that you want people to believe. And conversely, people believing and buying into the narrative that feeds their own personal narrative that they want to believe. And so you can speak truth to people and they won't hear it because they're too busy kind of drinking their own Kool-Aid, you know? And so I thought this particular line seemed to echo that. And so I thought it was a nice transition uh, with, with seven o'clock as the album's centerpiece, if you will, to go back to an album like yield and find that album centerpiece. And I see the parallels lyrically between seven o'clock and between uh, a song like do the evolution. I can totally see that. It's um, that was one of my favorite songs for the longest time. Uh, and it still is. And um, I know your live cut of this song is not going to be the one I'm mentioning right now. It's going to be from, you know, the correct era as, is, as are the rules. Um, but, I was in Madison Square Garden in 2003, the show that's on DVD that anybody could watch. I was there. And if you watch Do the Evolution, you see the guys kind of freak out and, and, and touch the floor of the stage. And at the end, he explains, a stagehand explains to him and he explains to the audience that the stage shook because the crowd was so loud and energetic that it shook. And it only happened three times before. Uh, the boss, uh, Iron Maiden and uh, the Grateful Dead, oddly enough. Mm -hmm. But the point is, is that this song created that energy. It's because of lines like these. Um, we, at that time, were in the middle of the Bush presidency. Obviously, this was written during the Clinton years. Mm -hmm. But that's actually the point. The point is that there are always people in positions of power that are going to corrupt that power and corrupt people. And, and con people and do whatever the hell they want to do for power's sake. And that's what this song was kind of all about. Uh, we are ruining everything because of powerful people taking everything for themselves and convincing others that they should be the ones to listen to. And we are going to run off a cliff. Hence the, you know, 2010 watch it go to fire. I actually wrote a, 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 um, uh, a paper in college using this song as one of my examples hmm. of you know, can music kind of predict the future? Can can music um, see something that we're not seeing from a different angle? Um, I don't remember how I did in that paper, but I was very happy to use this song as, as some example uh, for that. And so it's obviously very applicable to now, um, especially if you are uh, left of center, you would very much believe in these lines. And um, some of them even more literally than others. I mean, there's my church, I sing in the choir, I mean, that could be literal and that can be figurative, um, <laughs> the way things are going. So you picked a hell of a lyric, my friend. Yeah. Thank you. Ready to stand up! Now, as you mentioned, the, the live cut does not come from... 2003 uh per my self-imposed restrictions i like the lyric to come from the actual tour of the album the song was released on uh, barring any unforeseen restrictions in that regard you know sound quality issues uh, no no great cuts of the track and so on uh, the track that you love from that show, Jason, is stellar. It's epic on so many levels. It would be a fitting version of the track to share. However, I do think that there is a version from the Yield Tour that rivals it for a few different reasons, probably more on a um, thematic level than an actual, like, you know, performance level. Not that this performance is bad. I mean, I wouldn't choose it if it was. However, <clears throat> In 1998, Pearl Jam toured Oceania, North America, right? So their tour of Australia was in the uh, 
I'm sorry, it was before the summer of their North It was the American first part tour. of the tour, wasn't it? It was the first part of the tour. Yeah. Now, what a lot of folks may not remember is that Jack Irons left the band following the tour of Australia due to basically uh, dissatisfaction with touring. Uh, essentially, you know, he, was, he, he wanted to be, uh, again, I mean, I'm... This is what we've heard. This is what I've heard, right? I yeah. mean, this is conjecture on my end. But from what I've read, he wanted, you know, he was he was older than some of the other members of the band and he kind of wanted to be home with his family. And I mean, it's just the, the, the touring life had been something that he felt was behind him at this stage in his life. And so this particular show comes from that Australia leg and it was the last tour that Jack, I'm sorry, the, the last leg of the tour that Jack Irons was with the band. Okay, so at the time, uh, Pearl Jam sound engineer Brett Eliason, who we actually referenced uh, for the lyric of the week last week, which was from Leash, he said that, quote, we went and did Hawaii and Australia with Jack, and when we came back, Jack wasn't in a position to carry on. He made that decision more or less by himself. He can be a really great drummer, but he had difficulty on tour putting out the energy for the length of shows they were doing i don't know if he thought they put things on hold for him well as we know they did not put things on hold for him they actually replaced him with uh matt cameron he was uh, available at that point he was available exactly it was short notice yep but uh he had like 80 some odd songs in what a weekend or something like that it was nuts you know like he said hey i got a phone call out of the blue from you know Gossard and, and their manager Kelly and Eddie Vedder and he felt like kind of ambushed but not in a terrible way but it was definitely short notice obviously and he's like hey what are you doing this summer you know and so like you mentioned he learned like 80 something songs in two weeks but you know we talk about a song like do the evolution and this literally is a it's part of the evolution of the band you know the, the, the constant changing of drummers but Matt Cameron has the longest tenure with the band and it started basically right after this tour. So this is essentially one of the, the the last performances that Jack Irons ever had performing a song with the band that he originally drummed on in the album. And so I kind of felt like, you know, there's something meaningful and special about this particular track. It's great sound quality, but the, 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 what it represents in terms of the evolution of the band. Uh, there's, there, there's lyrically, there, yes, there is the whole uh, political and cultural implications of the lyrics and how that plays in. And I think that's part of what makes Madison Square Garden that performance special. But in terms of its more intimate relationship to the band, I thought that this particular cut for me is my favorite for kind of the more intimate reasons that I just mentioned there. All right. March 5th. 1998 in Melbourne, Australia. Come on and dance.
Well, that was uh, energetic. I mean, sure good Lord. Uh, Eddie sounds fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, the band sounds tight. And that you could absolutely tell that that's Jack Irons. He just mm-hmm. He's just sitting in the pocket, just leading the charge, you know? Um, whereas if it was, if it, can you imagine Dave playing that song? Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a little, little hi-hat filled all over the place and splashes yeah. and, um, yeah, no, that was, that was fantastic. I think you, I think you nailed it with that one. Um, I'd be curious to see what a, the Matt version would, would have been from later in the tour, maybe like a few weeks in having got a couple of matches under his belt. Um, that sounds like an idea for a show. Jason. Yeah, maybe it's, you know what? Maybe we should uh, bank that for later. I like that. You might have to, yeah. Okay. Well, um, another episode in the books, my friend. Uh, we will continue and complete our Gigaton review next time around. And so until then, this is the state of love and trust. Yeah.